Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Views from the 573. Third podcast this week. Been a busy week on this feed. Uh, if you haven't yet checked out the previous two episodes, it was a, it was, it was a two-parter. It had to be two parts because when I decided to put all the audio together, that thing was almost three hours. It was almost, it was about as long as the Batman, so... I, I, I had to figure out how to get those two separated, so figured we, no, not a three-hour pod, so hopefully you guys enjoyed part one, in which me and Matt talked a little bit about Kyler Murray, who we're going to talk a little bit about more later on here in a few minutes, Juan Soto, and then part two, which we released on Monday, with me and Charles doing some NBA talk, so if you haven't checked that out, go check out the feed. Uh, right quick and listen to those two and enjoy yourselves with those conversations they were really fun and then on the entertainment channel we did a initial reactions to comic con podcast me and peter the plan is to do sort of like a a longer version of that where we're just kind of going more in depth into some of the stuff into some of the stuff that we really want to talk about daredevil uh, we're really excited about that, uh, the two Avengers movies, and uh, maybe talk about w- what we'll see at D23. Hopefully, that's still coming. He's under the weather, so we'll have to see if he gets better. If he does, great. If not, I, I-, I might do something and go more in depth into some of the stuff and some stuff about D23. Other than that, that's been the last week or so of both those channels so if you haven't checked those pods out yet be sure to go and do so but this week as i mentioned we're going to talk a little bit more about kyler murray up top uh some (laughs) some uh, controversial stuff i think to say the least with uh kyler murray's contract and what's going on there it's been a big topic of conversation here the last couple days my tennessee vols got into the news within the last week, so we'll talk about that and why I think it's not as awful as the headline may seem. And then, of course, we're rolling on with football previews where we tackled in our part one podcast with Matt where I tackled the NFC South and we talked about those teams and we also did the Big Ten. This week, we head over to Big 12 country you talk about those teams and then we head on over to the NFC North and talk about the Packers, Vikings, Bears and the Lions. You know, Aaron Rodgers has been in the news with how he arrived the training camp looking like Nicholas Cage from Con Air. So, we're going to be hitting those two this week and next week, I believe we'll be wrapping up the NFC and tackling Everybody's favorite, the NFC East. How about them Cowboys? And uh, we'll be tackling them in the NFL, and then we'll be tackling the Pac-12 next week, as uh, they've been in the news here recently, losing USC and UCLA, so we'll talk about them uh, next week. And then the week after, we're going to head right on into the AFC, and we are going to start with the AFC East and talk about those teams, and then we're going to be talking about the SEC, which that's going to be fun coming from an SEC head over here. So that's going to be the plan for the next couple of weeks. So 
without further ado, let's get on to this week's episode. And let's start off with Kyler Murray. Which, of course, me and Matt, we talked about Kyler Murray getting his big extension uh, after a weird offseason from both the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. They both came to terms on a new contract. And it's a it's a pretty decent contract. Me and Matt talked about whether it's a contract that can they the quarterback market can kind of look at and say, okay, maybe this is the way forward now with with the, his type of deal. And we didn't know about one part of the deal at the time, but we kind of thought, yeah, that could be definitely a part of what quarterbacks could get. You look at his deal, Josh Allen's deal. It's probably going to be more so the deals that people are going to get be, you know, on this side of the Deshaun Watson extension. But one of the things that we did not know was involved in this until a few days after the fact was an addendum in Murray's new contract became public the like the day after. And it specifically required him study game material for four hours per week on his own to receive credit. It kind of sounds like freaking college or high school right there, doesn't it? And one of the reasons why is that Murray couldn't study while he was distracted by TV, internet, or video games. And if he failed to meet the criteria, he was at risk of being in default of his contract. Which is something we have... I can't recall ever seeing being a part of a contract is something like this. And I think that, I, you know, I thought back to our conversation that we had on, that we had when the pod was released on Sunday night and thinking about, well, whether, do you extend him because he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league and you'd have to reset if you don't. I think back to that conversation and like, well, you have to pay him or, or do you? And this right here is ties in with that stuff pretty well as to whether you do give him that extension. Why would the Cardinals give him an extension if that was indeed a part of this contract that he was going to get with the Cardinals? I was going to pay him a lot of money. And so... Almost immediately, the backlash started happening with this. Both Kyler Murray and the Cardinals were really hit hard with criticism, and fairly so for both sides. For the Cardinals, adding something like that to a contract is almost unheard of. And for Kyler, having a clause in that contract that specifically states what it did that's not a good look either for a guy that's supposed to be the franchise quarterback. Especially him being okay with going ahead and signing the contract with the clause in place. So, rightly so, both took criticism over the last few days. And on Thursday, the uh, the clause was taken out of the contract. And took it out. And so that's not part of Kyler Murray's new deal anymore. And Colonels stated it, it was a distraction they created. And perceived, they said it was 
clearly perceived in ways that were never intended and rightly so. And they said, you know, hey, our confidence in Kyler, it's high. That's why we gave him this deal, because he's our franchise guy. The the clause kind of said a little bit differently if he's your franchise guy, because do you really need to add a clause in there to make him study outside of outside of the facility? Because I'm sure he's studying at the facility and all that stuff while they're getting ready for games and all that stuff. But, I mean, if you look at the best quarterbacks... I mean, listen, they don't survive on talent alone. That's not how this works. I mean, I don't know any better, but as somebody that watches sports regularly, if you have the talent, it's not gonna it's gonna only get you by for so long. And you need to put in the work and work hard. But this clause added in this contract, oh boy. It, it it was such a detriment to the Cardinals and Murray and their PR for the next few days. And I think he had to get that out of the contract because that it was going to be a point of conversation <laughs> the rest of the season, probably. Like Kyler, how's your studying going? Again, it's almost like freaking, you know, going back to school and all that stuff. You you complete all this, you you get a credit. So, it's eerily similar to that. And Kyler, he hosted an impromptu news conference after training camp on Thursday, where he spoke for about 11 minutes on it, and was necessary to explain it. And he called out any any criticism that he's gotten in the last few days, with criticism of his work ethic and the allegations he doesn't watch much or any game film. I said that it's almost a joke. And Murray said, of course he watches film by himself. That's a given. And, you know, Kyler did make a good point here. Uh, when he said, quote, people can't comprehend the amount of time that it takes to do two sports at a high, high level in college let alone to be the first person to do it ever at my size. He's got a point. If you remember, he was a two-sport athlete at the time where he was taken in the top 10 of the baseball draft by the A's, who's now his contract, I saw, is worth more than their whole payroll. So I think we forget about that. How tough it's got to be to be a two-sport athlete and to be a star at both the way he was to where he got himself selected in the top 10 of the MLB draft and he gets himself selected number one in the NFL draft. So this whole situation has been weird. Honestly, Kyler and the Cardinals have been weird this whole offseason with everything that's gone on. Right to Kyler scrubbing his Instagram and the Cardinals and, you know, them trying to extend him and them maybe trading him. It, it's just been a, a weird offseason for both sides. There's no other way to put it. So this has been interesting, to say, to say the least, about this whole offseason between these two parties. 
And we're going to have to see how both these parties are going to come out on the other side of this when the season starts. I'm sure things will be fine, but it it has been weird. I don't I don't think anybody can deny that it's been really strange with how Kyler's handled himself this all season, how the Cardinals have uh good that he got the extension done, but now with this stuff it just got a little bit more weird. So, it's been a intriguing off season for the Cardinals and for Kyler Murray. So hopefully they can put all this weirdness aside from this off season and head to the season and just move forward and concentrate on the season. So with the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray with that done, let's start, head on over and talk some college football. And we're going to spend some time here because we got to talk about the Pac, no, not the Pac-12. That's next week. Big 12 this week. So, let's start with Tennessee, who we're going to be talking about here in a couple of weeks. With uh, some big news being handed down to them. Is, of course, if you're a college football fan, you know they've been under investigation. With stuff, Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, with what they did. And it was... Came to a realization here not too long ago, like a few days ago, and we didn't have time to talk about it with the pod, but Tennessee was handed 18 level one violations. That included payments totaling to a number around 60,000. And they received this notification a week ago. And... I mean, listen, the optics of it, you put that in a headline, you're going to think, oh, crap, Tennessee is screwed. They're definitely screwed. But I take a look at it, and I can already hear some people say, oh, okay, of course, Ryan, Ryan's going to be optimistic here. The Tennessee fan doesn't think they're going to get hit hard. Oh, oh, surprise, surprise. But let me tell you why I don't think they're going to get hit hard. First off, you look at what they've done since then with getting rid of the people involved. And that's one of the things that helps out here with the NCAA. The NCAA are moving to a state to where like, hey, if you punish the people that were involved, get rid of the people that were involved, then that will definitely help you out. That... You get rid of the people that were involved in this, the coaches, players that were involved in this leave, or administrative staff that were involved in this or leaving as well. I think it's a good sign. So when you get rid of them, there's no Pruitt. Um, no, nobody else on that coaching staff, Niedermeyer, is another big name in, among the coaches. They're all gone. Coach is gone. Player's gone. Nobody's involved in that. They've been punished. They were fired. And, you know, Pruitt's going to have a tough job trying to... He's going to have a... He's going to have a tough go trying to find another job in college football with all this... With with this cloud hanging over him. So, 
that I think is one reason why you get rid of every, all the parties that were involved in this. They're no longer there on at the school, whether it's on the coaching staff, on the team, and the administration offices. All of them are gone. So I think you're fine there. Also, they did hit themselves with some sanctions, you know, scholarships restrictions, some recruiting restrictions, all that stuff. So I think they they got themselves there, and maybe I mean sure the NCAA might hit them with a couple, but I think you know Tennessee already did hit themselves with some scholarship restrictions, so you might not see as much on that end. I think another thing to look at is how Tennessee handled themselves in this situation. A couple of things you've been seeing with how with this type of situation with when it, when it comes to paying players before the NIL era and the NCAA was basically if you told the NCAA to go kick rocks, it wasn't going to help your case out. It wasn't going to help your case out regardless. But now in this new era that we're in, Tennessee actually handled itself really well, really went in depth to try to make sure to root out the problem and get, and get it out. They hit themselves hard. And one of the things that the ancient way specifically looks for is lack of institutional control. Those are the four dangerous keywords you never want to see come up in a report involving your school. And Tennessee avoided it. In fact, the NCAA said the way they handle this investigation should be an example for how all teams should handle investigations like this. So that's pretty high praise coming from the NCAA, who I believe many times on this show, we've documented as being a few times inept, more so than being competent. So that's a good sign, is the lack of institutional control was not there. They handled themselves well. They did what they needed to do. And investigate this stuff properly. They rooted out the problem, got rid of the problem, and there you go. Also, the NCAA with this type of stuff is they're not looking at having more bowl bans. So if you're thinking, ah, oh, Tennessee's going to get a big bowl ban, they're moving towards an era to where they don't do that stuff anymore. So that's probably not going to happen. So there are a few reasons why I don't think Tennessee's going to get hit hard. Like you like again, I know people look at 18 level 1 violations. Level 1 is the is are among the worst violations or the highest you can get. And people are going to look at that and say, "Ah, okay, and not really go in depth on this, but if you look at it, I think Tennessee is going to be fine here." And there might be a couple stuff coming from the NCAA's way. But I don't think it's going to be damaging. I think it's going to be fine. And also, another thing here. Um, Andy Staples wrote a pretty good article about whether it was worth it to fire Pruitt with all this stuff. And... There are some valid points in here. 
with with regards to this article. I you can go and find all the athletic and read it yourself, but it's like, well, listen, if Pruitt is the Pruitt stuff is not working. If it is working, if it was working at the time, and Tennessee was looking like a really good team, do you do this? And the answer? Probably no. Is that you probably don't do something like this if Tennessee under Pruitt is looking... Like, it's going to be an up-and-coming program. They're looking like they're going to be really good for the next several seasons. So, if if that happened, Tennessee probably shoves this under the rug and acts like nothing happened. Like, if in 2020, even though it was a COVID season, if they had won... Six, seven, or I forget how many games there were in COVID, in, in the COVID year. Ten games, I think. Ten SEC games. Let's say they went eight and two. Seven and three, eight and, eight and two. Do you think they're really going to fire Jeremy Pruitt and try to bring all this stuff to light? No. They're, they're like, oh, hey, look at all this misplaced stuff we had here connected to this and just... Shove it under the rug and and not worry about it and move on with the Jeremy Pruitt era heading into 2021 with a good record. But, of course, it didn't play out that way. With how it did, things were looking bleak. And in that 2020 season, they... Lost a six, they had endured six game stretch, in which by combined total of 211 to 94, and again, the COVID season was an all SEC season. They lost to Georgia, Kentucky, Bama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida by a, that combined score. So, in a way, the losing that Tennessee endured during that season was probably a blessing in disguise. As weird as it is to say that you, you have an investigation like this, and again, I'm saying, you know, people are going to look at 18 level 1 violations and say, that's bad, and I will agree, that is not good. It's not what you want to see. But I, again, I don't think it's going to hurt them. But, yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee will be fine. And, I mean, look at this. $60,000, that's barely a dent. And, I mean, especially if you look at the NIL. And, I think one thing that helps in this case, I mean, like, NIL became a thing not too long after this. And, that may be a thing Tennessee's relying on here. That... You know, with the hope of, you know, like you look at this new era plus the total cooperation with the, uh, that they had in this investigation. Plus, what the like of the former and prudent regime. I think the hope is that it spares the current program any serious punishment. And I think, 
again, that's the thing I think the NCAA wants to hit on is they don't want to punish the current people there. I think they want to get after the people that were there and maybe the players as well. So if that's the case, Pruitt is going to be hit with the show cause that's going to be freaking outrageous and probably not going to be coaching in college football for for a long time. He's either going to say the NFL or go to high school or something like that. So if that's in, indeed the NCAA's plan, you might see a couple stuff here with Tennessee. Maybe a couple more scholarship reductions, uh, a fine or something, or a couple other stuff. Bowl man, I don't think it's going to happen because they're moving away toward from that. So, I might sound like the optimistic Tennessee fan here. <laughs> I know how it's coming off. But I think if you look at all the stuff that's added up into all this, I think it's hard not to think if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're a college football fan, you read all the stuff that was involved in this case. I think you got to say, I mean, Tennessee, I think it's going to come out not looking as bad here. And... $60,000. I mean, that's all it was. Hotel charges, nail salon visits. Uh, Pruitt's wife was involved in this. I mean, of course, you can't make this stuff up with Tennessee. Uh, the one thing that was fun about this was the whole McDonald's bag situation, which I, I made fun of as well. But I think that was the thing is to find out, no, Tennessee staffers didn't put cash in McDonald's bags. Just a couple quarter pounders cheeseburgers and fries and all that stuff and so unfortunately the funny part of this was not true even though it was fun to bring this up but I think Tennessee is going to be fine in the long run and you look at other you look at somebody like Arizona State who has a lot who had a lot of people still on their staff with their investigation going on And they kept a lot of those guys together. That's probably why it's not helping them right now. So, yeah. <laughs> what a way for my program to make some headlines is all this stuff. But I think they'll be fine. We'll talk football side of things for them in a couple weeks. But I think they're fine. I don't think it's going to be anything too huge. I know there's probably people, Bama, Florida, and Georgia fans, that are probably going to be wishing that they were going to hit, be hit hard. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think they'll be fine. So with that out of the way, let's talk some football, college football, and let's talk some Big 12. And head on over to that part of the country and talk about some of these teams here. So... It's probably best we start from the bottom and work our way up to the top. And, you know, with the Big 12, of course, as as you as it would be, there's only 10 teams in the conference. So, it, it's college football. It fits college football. Pretty soon the Pac-12 is about to be in the same boat. But let's move on and let's talk the Big 12 here. And let's talk about some of the bottom teams in the conference. Uh, 
And let's start with Kansas, although the Jayhawks showed a little bit of life last year. Yeah, Lance Leopold comes in, wasn't hired hired until May of last year, didn't even get a spring practice with this team, and didn't get a look at what he had until the fall. And Leopold is a really accomplished coach in football. Six Division three titles, two MAC East titles. But, if you look at, yeah, they lost a, a bad Duke team by 19. They did play, play an inspired game against Oklahoma. To which, if you remember, they led 17-14 heading into the fourth quarter before losing 35-23. With a couple calls, I think we're probably a bunch of bull crap. <laughs> they they showed some life here towards the end of the season to maybe give some Jayhawks fans some hope heading into year two. So you look at their quarterback situation, that's probably one of them. Jalen Daniels, ranked 21st in total QBR after November 1st ahead of Caleb Williams and Matt Corral. The offense started to show some promise. Beat Texas 57-56. to And one of the better games of last year. They almost beat TCU in West Virginia. Losing by a combined, was it, six, three, nine points to both teams. And that was a three-game stretch right there that really have, uh, really got... Kansas maybe looking at 2022 as the maybe those games can be some building blocks for this year. So you got Daniels returning. The offensive line has got a couple all-conference guys that, that could possibly be on that list. They got an experienced defense. And as a bonus, Leopold and his staff are actually able to be around for spring football this year. So I, I have to think that helps. So it looks like Leopold is might be doing something with Kansas as they, they really hit a stretch there at the end of last season to where they may have found something. So will Kansas be good this year? Maybe not, but I mean, listen, those last few games, they might tell you something about this team coming into next coming to this season. I mean, I remember watching that Kansas Oklahoma game thinking, is Kansas actually going to pull this off? And again, it didn't happen. But if you're a Jayhawks fan, you got to be inspired by that. But alas, Kansas is still a basketball school for the meantime. <laughs> so moving on from Kansas. Let's talk some West Virginia. One of those teams that Kansas lost to. As Neil Brown continuing his tenure with West Virginia in Morgantown. Got a big name transfer by the name of JT Daniels. I don't know if you all have heard of him. Spent some time at USC. Spent some time at Georgia. That's a big time get for them. Daniels definitely has the talent. That could really elevate that West Virginia team. And they didn't have a lot of big plays last year. And maybe he can make a difference. 
But for him, I think it is, can he stay healthy? Because he hasn't had a full healthy season since 2018. If he have a full healthy season, I can really go a long way for the Mountaineers. So you look at the rest of this offense. You got four offensive linemen that returns that were at least honorable mention all Big 12 last year. You got a thousand yard rusher and Letty Brown. And also on offense, you got some weapons out there, including another transfer. And Clemson running back Lynn J. Dixon. So JT Daniels does have some help there on that offense. And on defense, you are losing a lot of players. Of nine defenders who record at least 500 snaps in 2021, seven are gone, including four defensive backs. So that whole secondary, you're going to have to figure out what to do with that. So you're replacing a lot of stuff. On that defense. So there's the Mountaineers. JT Daniels is going to be the difference maker. To where West Virginia wants to go. Now let's move on to Iowa State. And let's talk some Hawkeyes. Not Hawkeyes. That's the other Iowa. That's last week Ryan. Uh, Cyclones. Matt Campbell I think to have an understatement here, has done an, a pretty good job there in Ames, Iowa. He completely shifted the expectations there. And you look at the records he's had over the last few years, 8-5, and 8-5, and 7-6, a little bit of a down year there. But then you had a 9-3 and finish in 2020, Big 12 championship appearance, a Fiesta Bowl win, and a top 10 finish in 2020. And begins and began last year in the top 10 as well. So he's really had this program up on the rise. And a lot of that was due to guys like Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, a couple other guys. Well, now all those guys are gone. They have all moved on to pro football. You lose also a couple all-conference linemen, a lot of last year's defense. And you take a look at last year. They had a lot of close losses last year that if they go in another direction could have helped change some things with how they went last year. Going 7-6 last year. You change a couple of those close losses, who knows? Might have been a better ball game. But looking at what Iowa State does bring back, you got Xavier Hutchinson coming back at wide receiver, left guard Trevor Downing, cornerback Anthony Johnson, defensive end Will McDonald. I think if you're looking at 2022 for the Hawkeyes, again, Ryan, for the Hawkeyes, Cyclones, I got Iowa stuck in my head from last week. If you take a look at the Cyclones for this year, there we go. I think the goal is to try to work with those close losses and try to make them wins next this year. But also, just try not to collapse. Because, I mean, they very well could with all the production that was the core of this team for the last few years gone. You're going to need to get some new guys to establish themselves. And could somebody like 
Hunter Deckers, at quarterback, who's a sophomore, come in and break in and really set himself apart in that QB room and establish himself. Can that defense, which lost a lot, find a way to get some of those new guys in there and have them contributing in big-time ways? Maybe. That's Those are going to be some of the key things for Cyclones fans to watch this year. And seeing how Matt Campbell can get this team ready this year. I mean, the expectations have changed their names. They definitely have. That just make a bowl, just reach a bowl, would have felt like something just amb- ambitious, you know, not too long ago. Now it feels like the norm. So he's really got that program on the up and up and changed a whole lot. And we'll have to see how he does with losing a core part of it, of his time there to the next level. So there's Iowa State. TCU real quick. No Gary Patterson roaming the sidelines for the Horn Frogs. He's now in Texas. Serving as Steve Sharkeesian's special assistant there on that defense. And so TCU goes there and plays him with Sonny Dykes, who is 25 and 10 with SMU over the past few years. Pretty good SMU team. And really hit the portal hard. Getting 15 transfers with addressing a lot of positions there. Now, offense could be really good. You got Max Dugan at quarterback. You got Quinn Johnston, one of the top receivers in the country, coming back. Darius Davis, Tay Barber, who all three have combined for 99 receptions, 16 and a half yards per catch last year. Running back room is looking pretty good. The defense, though, it does need some help. And... Patterson, whose forte was defense, last year really struggled and really took a a dip. So I think the key is finding some some continuity on that defense and get that defense back to level to where it it was the where it was the norm a few years ago. The offense does look fun though, and we'll have to see if Sonny Dykes. Can do what we did with SMU and get TCU back on top. And then finally, Texas Tech, the close out the later half of the Big 12. Yeah, with Texas Tech getting McGuire as a coach. Really cares about recruiter. If you look at the rankings, they've already got 20 commitments right now. Not even not even August yet. Will be August in a few days. But right now, as of July 29th, 20 commitments. And of course, it's going to take a dip, you know, with other young, with other teams getting their guys. But he's coming in there and, and bringing a lot of hype to Texas Tech. And he hired Zach Kitley, who was at Western Kentucky last year. Came over from Houston Baptist, taking quarterback Bailey Zappi and three receivers with him, and completely flipped the Hilltoppers' offense last year. Now he comes back to Texas Tech, which is his alma mater, and we'll try to see if he can do the same thing with this Texas Tech offense. 
Tyler Show was a guy that had a lot of hype with him a couple years back. Let's see how he does. The thing is, it's going to be how explosive is this offense is going to be. Whoever is at quarterback, whether it's going to be Show or Donovan Smith or you know whoever, that's going to be the key. And if he, they can execute Kentley's offense, which is dubbed an Air Raid 2.0. So might be back to those old Texas Tech days, you know, kind of when like Mahomes was there and Kingsbury and all that stuff. Remember that? So you might see some of that there with Texas Tech. So moving on from what would probably be considered the lower half right now of the Big 12, let's take a look at the top teams that are expected to be on top of the Big 12. And let's start, let's save them. Let's save, I, there was somebody else listed, but let's save them. Kansas State is a team, of course, last year in their bowl game, manhandled LSU, or a team that wore the LSU uniforms with all that debacle. I forgot all that happened. Oh, boy. So that happened, and Chris Kleiman, their defense was really good last year. Allowed just 18 points per game over the their last seven games last year, following a three and three start. And they got some really good players on on that team. Felix, I'm gonna butcher this. Udike Uzoma, I know I just butchered that is probably the best player on that defense. And you look at what he would bring as an edge rusher, as an impact player for that for this Wildcats defense. So, if you're looking at this defense, you're hope, you're hoping that defense can carry over into this year to where it's one of the best defenses in the Big 12 offensively. At quarterback, you add in Adrian Martinez, who's one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in this country and over his time at Nebraska. And this is something that doesn't inspire confidence, but went 4-17 and the games decided by one score. So maybe, listen, it may be a thing of where, like, he and Nebraska needed a separation that sometimes you need a fresh start away from each other to really find your groove and to thrive and be successful. So maybe this is something like that and where Martinez can get that turnaround. You'll have Deuce Vaughn in the backfield as a utility guy that can catch, rush, and do everything, do it all guy. So that will definitely help. But I think the big thing will be Martinez and see if he can really find himself here in Manhattan, Kansas. And if he does, and this defense is really good next year, and the offense can produce, I think they can really go a long way for him. 
So, they're the Wildcats. We only got a few more teams to talk about. And let's talk about Texas real quick. And go to Austin. I think if you're a Texas fan, you were probably hoping Sharkeesan comes in last year and does well. No, 5-7 and seven record. The offense was alright. Defense wasn't good. So you need to come into this season changing a lot of things up. You got some good players on that offense. John Robinson, stud running back. Maybe the best running back in the country. You got a, a speedy wide receiver in Xavier Worthy who made a lot of big plays last year as a freshman. Yeah, three freshman offensive linemen played last year. Play a lot of snaps. You got 10 defenders last year who got at least 400 snaps, 7 return. Basically, anybody who did anything well. So, you bring a lot of former people back. And also, we mentioned earlier, they brought in Gary Patterson to help out with the defense. So, that might be a really good hire there. By Sharkeesian and Texas to really get this defense set right. But on offense, one of the things they did bring in, Quinn Ewers, trans- transferred back home. And was challenging Hudson Card. There's no clear starter right now. I think you got to believe it's going to be Ewers who's going to be taking the snaps week one against who? Oh, wait, that's right. I think a- Alabama. It's either week one or week two, so have fun with that, my guy. But speaking of Bama, they brought in a couple players from Bama, as expected, with some Bama connections at Texas now. Jaleel Billingsley at tight end. A.G. Hall at wideout. Isaiah Nayer from Wyoming was a good pickup for them. So they brought in a lot of big-time transfers from the portal to really help out this offense, and this defense. But this offense does look really fun. It does look really good. With Bajon Robinson and Worthy, Jordan, Jordan Whittington. Now you add Billingsley and A.G. Hall. Just figure out, is, is it going to be Ewers at quarterback, or is it going to be Card? And defense, I mean, listen, you just got to find a way to get better. You can't be as bad as you were last year. So maybe Gary Patterson can help. I mean, the big thing with Texas going heading into this offseason is all the talk about them getting a commitment from Arch Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli. So maybe it helps eases the pressure on Sarkeesian here for right now. But this year for him is really critical. He's got a lot of talent here. If he can get this on the right track, they can really help go a long way for him. There's a talent here in Austin. And Texas is saying, has always been kind of a Tennessee saying, we're, we're back. And usually it's premature. And right before something goes terribly wrong. So we'll see if Texas can say, hey, we're back this year and actually prove it. So there are the Longhorns. Let's talk about Oklahoma here. Of course, Oklahoma, they've been through a lot of change. 
this offseason. Lincoln Riley leaving for USC with some key players like Caleb Williams and some assistants heading to Pasadena with them. In comes Brent Venables, Clemson defensive coordinator who spent some time at Oklahoma a while back. Bring in 13 players through the transfer portal. And also, new quarterback. Because, yeah, you're going to need one after Caleb Williams leaves. So who do they bring in? They go to UCF and bring in Dylan Gabriel, the Southpaw. Which I got to admit should be interesting because it's always interesting to watch a left-handed quarterback play. But you look at him at UCLA and his first couple years before last year. Over 7,000 yards, 61 touchdowns in 2019 and 2020. With that first season coming under new Oklahoma coordinator Jeff Levy, who spent some time with Lane Kiffin the last couple years. So he reunites with Gabriel. So there's some continuity there. And there's some good receivers out in Oklahoma. Where they're not. Marvin Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, uh, LV Bunkley Shelton, who they got from Arizona State at wide receiver. Eric Gray coming back. And you got a couple good linemen, including like one of the best left tackles in the country, Anton Harrison. So you bring a lot in on offense. And Levy did really good work at Ole Miss, so we'll see what he does here. Fimble's low. His bread and butter is that defense. And getting that defense up to par. And if you look at his time at Clemson, he built up some of the best defenses in the country there. So, he's going to try to see if he can do that same thing here at Oklahoma. And he brought in some transfers that are guys that are playmakers, who are scrappers at the Power 5 level, and see if they can come in with all these young guys, some of these former blue chippers, and they can mix in well. So there's a lot of change coming to Oklahoma. We'll have to see how things go. But I think Oklahoma is going to be fine. Despite all the changes. Listen, sometimes change is a good thing. Is a thing we say, but we'll have to see how this goes. Because they lost a lot on the team and on the coaching staff. So, finally, let's head on to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma's rival, and see what's going on in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And a thing that's common with Oklahoma State here recently, especially with Mike Gundy, is that the offense has been really, really good and really explosive. But here's of late, the offense hasn't been what you expect out of a Mike Gundy coach offense. But lately, it's been the defense form, including last year being the number four overall defense in the country, who we just talked about last week, Jim Knowles, who was head of that unit last year, now at at Ohio State. So now you got to fill in the hole to replace them. But if you're Oklahoma State, you got some pretty good defensive ends coming back. 
Tyler Lacey, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver combined. 41 tackles for loss, 24 sacks, 27 run stuffs. That's pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. So, they bring those guys back on defense. You do lose a couple leaders back there with linebackers, Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. And you lose four of last year's top five DBs. So, you're going to integrate some new guys this year, and hopefully they can come in and step in. Also, you got a new defensive coordinator in Derek Mason, who is a really good defensive coordinator in his own right. So, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. To what he can bring to this Oklahoma State defense. I think the thing is, can this offense get back on track? You know, Spencer Sanders has been the guy there at quarterback for a few years now. And he, he's he been consistent for better or for worse over the last few years. He's tough. He, he's a guy that can make plays. He's had a couple st- things where he's kind of held him back a little bit. Can he maybe have something like a Kenny Pickett-esque late career leap in him? It's entirely possible. I mean, I don't think we saw that coming from Kenny Pickett last year. So maybe Kenny take that jump next year and uh, really help the offense get back on track with Oklahoma. And then finally with Baylor, rounded out the team that won the conference last year. You look at the job Dave Aranda's done. It's been a really impressive job. Two and seven in his first year. Last year went twelve and two. Four and one in one score games. I mean, they were just hitting on all cylinders last year. And David Randall in his second year really really started to show some stuff. And you saw some stuff with Matt Rule was there, but then Rule left and then Randall took over. But and now he's got it seemed like back on track. But they aren't without their losses. You look at their offense. Lean passer Gary Bohannon. Four of the five players who caught more than 15 passes last year, they're gone. So you lose a lot on offense. And on defense, you lose a couple big-time players in Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie. So you're replacing a lot of experience and a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. If you do look at this offense, you are bringing in Blake Shapin, a sophomore, who came in late last year and did pretty well for himself with the games he played in last year and with the way he's done in the spring. You got an all-American tackle and Connor Galvin who leads that offensive line. You got Tay McWilliams at running back, who in 17 carries last year, nine of them went for at least 10 yards and one went for 44. And that defense, it will be really, really good. Because even though you lose Bernard, that defense looks like it's bringing in a lot of players you, and with Aranda, he brought in 
via transfer, Tulsa defensive tackle, Jackson Player. Last year, 21 tackles for loss, 22 run stuffs, one of the better pass rushing tackles in the country. And him, and I'm going to butcher this too, Siaki Aika. I know I just butchered that. So it's a nice, good tandem there with your defensive tackles right there. And the de- and the secondary will need some work. It will need some work. But I think if you're a front seven that can really dominate, you can maybe help out that secondary a bit. So this 2022 season is really going to be interesting to see if Aranda. It's kind of like the same thing with Mel Tucker. If last year was a fluke for those two guys and seeing if this is something that they can sustain. And keep going for a while. So that is the Big 12, everybody. Another conference down. Next week, Pac-12. Heading on over there. Heading on over to the West Coast. But right now, let's head on over to the North. Talk about the NFC North. And let's talk about these teams where the Packers eat... They've lost a couple people. Vikings had a new coach. Second year for Justin Fields. Lions, of course, coming off having the number one overall pick. See what they do in Dan Campbell's second year. So let's start with the Bears. What all have they done this offseason? I would think the big thing is that you need to get Justin Fields some help. Help your young quarterback if he is going to be your guy. And need to add some players around him. Well, you lose Allen Robinson. That doesn't help. And you bring in a kill Harry, Brian Pringle, and Equinamius St. Brown. I don't know how much confidence that inspires. Brought in Trevor Simeon as a backup quarterback. Lose James Daniels, Akeem Hicks, Bilal Nichols, Khalil Mack. You trade him. So they've made a lot of moves. And it is going to be all about how much are you going to help your young quarterback. And how can you help him. And one thing that the Bears did is they brought in Luke Getze, who spent the last three years in Green Bay working with Aaron Rodgers. What can he bring to the table? What can he bring to help Fields out here in his second year? But not having weapons like Allen Robinson there, it's going to hurt. Some other weapons on the offensive side of the ball, you got Darnell Mooney at wide receiver, who you you know Fields will be throwing to. But besides that, is Bringle going to be more more of the third field that we saw in Kansas City? Can Bayless Jones, former Vol right there, (laughs) <laughs> can he be somebody that can really step up? Could it be Cole Komet at tight end? Couldn't it kill Harry after after spending some time in New England? Need a new change of scenery? And can Maybe this can help him out? Maybe so, but that wide receiver room, it doesn't inspire confidence, if I gotta be honest. Right now, Chicago, on that defense, 
you know, no Khalil Mack. That's obviously a big-time loss right there. Uh, Keem Hicks is gone. So a lot of mainstays on that defense from the last few seasons are now out of town. And Robert Quinn could be the same way if if you don't watch out if you're a Bears fan. So edge rusher is definitely a major question mark, even if Robert Quinn does come back to camp and and plays and practices. So they're hurting there. Secondary, can somebody like Jalen Johnson be somebody that can come in and start? Can Kyler Gordon be in the rookie corner from Washington come in and step in on that defense? Want to see, but main thing about this team, Justin Fields, the young quarterback. See if he can come in in the year two and make that jump. That usually happens between year one and year two. So Detroit, let's talk about what the Lions have done. Uh, of course, again, last this past season, having first overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, you bring him in, and you hope that he can really produce as the hometown kid. Other acquisitions, DJ Chork, Josh Reynolds at wide receiver, help out Jared Goff, Tracy Walker, Deshaun Elliott at safety, bring back Gerard Davis. Charles Harris, Trey Flowers is gone. So let's start off that defense. Aiden Hutchinson is definitely going to be somebody to watch on that defense. And last year, that defense was not good, to, to say the least. 30th in the league in sacks last year. Hasn't had somebody that has been consistent and relentless and edge rusher as somebody that maybe Hutchinson can maybe be. And if he's that, that can maybe definitely help this defense and make it go really good. It can definitely go a long ways towards them. Other pieces on that defense, can Romeo Okora, can he come back from his Achilles injury? That The secondary with Jeff Okuda, the former number three overall pick, can he come back from his injuries and can he come in and be healthy and be the guy that the Lions were expecting him to be at number three overall. So that defense has a lot of questions, a lot of young talent, but a lot of questions on this offense. Jared Goff. There's been a lot of talk that he's a different player than he was in his first year in Detroit. And of course you're going to hype your, all your own players up. Let's see if that smoke is definitely real or not. As we get closer to the season so let's see what they brought in on offense and they brought in a lot of help for Jared Goff here last year and this year and one of those pieces was trading up to go and get Jameson Williams the stud receiver from Alabama of course we'll have to see if he's going to be good to go as he is currently still injured and Recovering from his ACL injury. So, we'll have to see how much we see him produce. But Amon Ross St. Brown had a really solid rookie year. TJ Hawkinson, you're hoping he really breaks out this year. Uh, DJ Chark coming in. DeAndre Swift, 
and Jamal Williams at, at running back. There's a lot of interesting pieces here for this Lions offense and offensive line. They've really built up that offensive line here in the last few years, of course, taking Sewell last year. So I'd see how they operate last year and see if Dan Campbell's team in year two can really take a leap and have these young players really produce really well here in year number two. Including in that, Hard Knocks. You're going to get an inside look at the Lions during training camp. So, that should be fun. Of course, Campbell is a guy that should give us a lot of good stuff here. A lot of good material there. So, that'll be fun. So, there are the Detroit Lions. Let's go to Green Bay and let's talk about the Packers. Anything interesting happened there here in the last few months? <laughs> so, looking at what the Packers are doing. Of course, the biggest thing was Aaron Rodgers. Will he or won't he come back? And he eventually re-upped them, signed extension, and is coming back. That's huge. Number two, no Devontae Adams. He's now in Las Vegas. And no Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He's going to St. Brown's with the Bears. So, Alan Alan Lazard, he comes back. You draft Christian Watson. Romeo Dubs, I hope got the last name pronunciation right. Sammy Watkins. An interesting wide receiver room, to say the least, for Aaron Rodgers. And a lot of reliance on a couple of young guys here. With Watson and Dubs and Amari Rodgers. Cameron Randall Cobb. Still making an impact at his age. It's just, uh, I mean, listen, anytime you lose the caliber of a player, Devontae Adams, it's going to be tough. And we'll, I'd see what Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur got cooking for 2022, but it's going to be tough to replace the production of a Devontae Adams and the talent in that wide receiver room and the chemistry that he and Aaron had. So, I'm trying to figure that stuff out this year with some new guys it'll definitely be tough uh, you did lose a lot of people on the offensive coaching staff to bring it up you know you lose Getsy to, to the Bears Nathaniel Hackett go is gone is now coaching the Denver Broncos so now you got a couple new guys in there and you'll see how they mesh with Aaron on that offensive side of the ball. Can they change the offensive game plan? Who knows? For the Packers, honestly, if I'm expecting, looking at fantasy purposes, I'm expecting a lot of running of the ball. So look for a lot of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon action with that tandem in the backfield. And expect both those guys to really get a lot of touches this year and rely on that running game. At least that's my thoughts with fantasy involved is that wide receiver room is a little bit too questionable for me. So just go to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and rely on them and they'll get you some touches, but obviously you need somebody to block for him. David Bakhtari. Hope that he gets ready for training camp. Uh, Elston Jenkins that you hope he gets back to being his old self. 
And if he does, you bring those two back and they're healthy, this Packers offensive line could be really good and can really open up holes for both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So that that can definitely help. On defense, they did lose a couple players, namely Zadarius Smith, who's now with the Vikings, who we'll touch on here in a minute. So can Rashawn Gary come in and step in as a guy who's a former first-round pick? Can he come in and really produce at that edge rusher spot? That's going to be the big question there, is can he come in and step in who last year had a pretty decent year and so far had a pretty good offseason. A lot of people talked about him. Can he carry that on into this season and really step up? Also on defense, you got a couple of young guys that, can, that are probably going to be impact guys right away and former Georgia Bulldogs Quay Walker at linebacker and defensive lineman Devontae Wyatt can really help out Kenny Clark up front and see if they can push for some playing time and can really make an impact on this defense in year one. So there are the Green Bay Packers right there. And then finally, let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. And they bring back Kirk Cousins, bring him back. Harrison Phillips, Jordan Hicks, signs at Aries Smith, bring back Patrick Peterson. The biggest thing and the biggest talking point is this offense. Because you bring in Kevin O'Connell from the LA Rams as your new head coach. And it looks like this offense is going to evolve into a more pass-happy type of team under O'Connell. How will that look for Kirk Cousins? Is that going to help him? Is that going to be something that hurts him? Justin Jefferson, probably the best benefactor of this change right here. Look for him to do really well this year. Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, that's your top three receivers right there. How's it look behind them? That's something you got to figure out. But Justin Jefferson and Thielen, I think, could benefit from a lot of this changing of the guard on offense. Davin Cook, of course, it does affect him not being more ground and pound. Might help him a little bit, take a few carries off of him. But he might be more involved in the passing game. And so that'll be something to take note of, of how O'Connell utilizes this workhorse back in Dalvin Cook. So the offense is definitely a talking point, and if they can get a pass-happy offense to work with Kirk Cousins and those guys there, that could be something to watch out for in the NFC North. If healthy, Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter could be one of the best pass-rushing t- duos in the in the league. Last year, now what you want? Combined eight regular seasons games played between them. So if they're healthy. And they also got a new defense they're installing. Can those two guys lead the charge on this new look defense and really get things going there? So both these teams, they're both installing, uh, uh, this team is installing new schemes on both sides of the ball. So it's going to be a lot of changes for them. Uh, Of course, one thing to look at is how does things look behind Kirk Cousins look? They drafted Kellen Mond last year. And Kellen Mond was in Mike Zimmer's doghouse. 
and was going through COVID and all that stuff, can maybe this be maybe this offensive change be helpful for him? Maybe in the long run, because you know Kirk Cousins is not going to be there forever. So maybe this can be a welcome change for him as well. The Vikings are probably the team to watch besides the Packers that can really compete in this division. Because I I don't know if the I don't think the Bears can I don't think the Lions can, the Vikings are the only team that can probably do so. So if there's going to be any team that's going to challenge the Packers for the top of the North this year, I think it's going to be the team up in Minnesota. I think for sure. So that'll do it for the NFC North. Next week we'll go and wrap up the NFC and tackle the NFC East and move on to the AFC after that. So, that'll do it for our football previews this week. That'll do it for the pod this week, or third pod this week, as I should say. Again, if you haven't checked the previous two out, with me and Matt, me and Charles, go check those two out right after you get done with listening to this one, or right before you get to listen to this one. Check out our entertainment feed as well with our Comic-Con reactions. Hopefully, again, me and Peter can get together and go more in-depth about some of the stuff later on in this weekend and hopefully we'll have that up for you if we do it that'll do it for us here everybody have a good weekend and until next time talk to you then